This is Big Man Tyrone, and you're about to watch the MTG Cabal cast with your hosts, Wood, Thirsty, and Reptar. Sub to us on all your podcast networks at MTG Cabal Cast and YouTube. Well, guys, welcome to the newest episode of the Cabal Cast. Before we get started, mea culpa, our topic is admittedly somewhat of a cop-out. But... Nevertheless, we're actually going to discuss how things are changing for us now that we are moving back to paper play. I know a couple months ago we covered, or a few episodes ago, we covered what we're looking at while everything's all digital. Yep. Now that things have shifted again, we're doing it again. So now that paper magic is back, does that change things for us? What does it change? Do celebrities know things? Let's find out. Absolutely. Uh, one of the other things that actually changed, and this is big for me because it changes uh, a lot of my strategy, is effectively any format that is propped up by moto is now a dead format and i'm looking at pioneer yep we were supposed to get pioneer masters on arena which at the time was great for people who wanted to spec on pioneer like i did and now we're not which is huge so that changes a huge chunk of my strategy for what i was doing granted a lot of that not a lot some of it carries into modern uh, all my Alpine Moon backstock, a, yeah. a plus on that, right? But things like Hazarets, and I can't even remember some of the things I, I have in there. Um, the two drop, uh, two one Red Rogue, Dire Fleet yeah. Daredevil, or something like that. Yeah, Dire Fleet Daredevil. That's the a, one. Yeah, I had a couple of those in foil, some Painlands in foil, just like ready to go for when Pioneer popped off, and now it is effectively a dead format. And. I didn't spend a lot of time or a lot of money on that stuff. It's just overstock from playing standard because, cool, that's what Pioneer is meant to do. But now I'm going to spend a lot of time attempting to, you know, make nickels here on the things that didn't pop because of Modern or EDH, what have you. Um, so to your point, a little bit of, like, kind of a cop-out topic, but at the same time, like, we've had a lot of change between... Yeah, it actually has been quite a bit, and that's one yeah. of the reasons that we decided to go for it was because like look yeah we just did it but it's as rapid as like the pro tour changes have been over the last three years too soon <laughs> maybe <laughs> the organized play changes over the last year with pandemic now we're back maybe we're not now we have independent companies running large events like that kind of stuff has really prompted a lot of change for the industry yeah, yeah. so overall my strategy for I'd say the next September, October now, so yeah, six months is accurate that'll put us in April, that's basically where I will want to end my run is going to be shifting focus from primarily EDH to EDH and modern I want to yep. be transitioning a lot of my EDH stocks into modern right now and I'm going to be picking up format staples to move in April and that the April date isn't uh, for tax reasons like we harp on, um, yeah. although that is going to be a good time to get rid of it. The holiday season is probably also going to be a good time as people are spending that money or buying gifts for others. It's because in about six months, that's when I can like, I can see more people wanting to attempt paper play. We have SEGCon coming up, which I believe has no modern component, but MTG Las Vegas, the CFB event, does. And it's not like these are the barometers for how good the format is or how or if it's going to be tenable at to hold at large events. We know from TCG Con 
that it's going to be tenable, but coming out of the holidays, that's when I expect people to actually have real schedules in place. People are going yeah. to be working now for the 2022 schedule. So <clears throat> I want to be ready and expect to start moving stuff in 2022, coming to a head in the spring when more people are apt to travel because it's easier from a lot of places. So yeah. it's kind of a, a confluence uh, of items but this is something I've been thinking about and starting to move into over the last couple of months. Yeah. And I think it's, it's important too that, you know, one of the important underpinnings of the last year and how organized play evolved into a mostly digital format is that, you know, and you said formats that are dependent on moto basically, you know, don't exist anymore. I think that's incredibly important because this is the first time where you've seen a very direct like okay well this is obviously something that's going to have an impact on paper because it's been digital only yep. and now this online metagame has established itself and that's our default paper meta you know when you talk about how different the online metas are compared to the paper metas that's huge because in legacy you can't just audible to a new deck on in paper when your deck is 10 grand but you can on moto with a mana traders yep. but now all bets are off. We haven't had paper play. So people may have changed their decks around. They may have sold them during the pandemic when it was worth more and they're going to buy into the dip, you know, and formats like Pioneer, for example, there was no paper meta and now there's not going to be or modern where the meta is entirely determined by Moto right now. But like in paper, we're starting with a Moto meta. Yep. We don't know what the paper meta is going to be for a while. So I think it's important that, you know, when you say that's what you're paying attention to, that's huge because it's one of the first times where like the online meta is the paper meta by default mm -hmm. to start with. It doesn't matter how fast it changed. All of a sudden, this is what we're going off because we don't have paper events with deck lists yep. the, to decide what's popular. The only other time I remember this really happening was the the great extended rotation of like 2003 or 2004 yeah. Yeah. where we rotated everything from ice age up to like invasion block out of extended because yep. that's where moto started moto yeah. just didn't have cards prior to invasion block so once mm -hmm. that rotation happened moto essentially set could set the tone for the paper extended metagame which at that point in time was still a very active and vibrant format, but the easiest way to test was globally on Moto. Uh, for what it's yeah. worth, the two events for CFB Vegas are modern and limited, and the modern event starts uh, day one is Friday. Yeah. So that that is, you know, part of part of the the the, the push that I'm looking for. Uh, I was thinking about dabbling a little more in standard as well. Um, for my my change up and I am paying attention to what's going on in the format we've been talking about it a bunch in the, the discord with worlds coming up I made a couple called shots before deck lists went up on things to look at and lo and behold I was kind of right 9 out of 16 decks in the worlds have galvanic iteration in the main the uh, eight of them are listed as Epiphany decks. The ninth one is the Is It Dragons list. And that seemed like a card that was very easy to pick up on, especially as pros were talking about, well, 
you can have your chocolate and peanut butter in this format by literally remaking Teamer with Arlen's uh, Is It Epiphany and the best parts of the mono green deck. You slam it together and that should run the format. And while nobody's taking that deck to Worlds, that's what I expect to come out of. And so we're kind of back in this place where we were with um, Guilds of Rav or whatever, uh, whenever yeah. Wilderness Recla Reclamation came out with Expansion. RTRTR. RTR. Yeah. Like, we're coming back around there where the the pieces for team are kind of make the best deck in the format. And I don't... Like, I made that one called Shot. I think it's going to be fine. And I think I'm just going to bounce from standard. I don't know yeah. how well things are going to go from there. So this little idea of, like, let me try standard again as a speculative vehicle was probably just a flash in the pan. But if it is something I move into, uh, I will definitely let people know by way of either Twitter or retire from my bob's burgers meme game <laughs> and, never please never and uh start posting relevant things regarding the standard uh so you know that's me and and my little world what are what are yeah. you up to what are you looking at so actually one of the interesting things for me is i've actually started paying attention to different content um for price pushing basically so obviously you know plenty of the edh youtube channels yep. there's tons of streams stuff like that that you can watch i've actually been paying more attention to articles and one of the reasons i've been doing that is because i have found that some of the like top 10 lists some mm -hmm. of the financial spoilers stuff like that um obviously ben blyweiss's set reviews are great you know he's been in the industry forever it's good reading yes. if not the best um but paying attention to some of the top 10 lists because it's a nice concise way of getting you know in 30 seconds to two minutes here are 10 cards to be paying attention yeah. to and then all right i can pull that up on edh rec and pull that card up what are the cards that are periphery to that all right are these cards that are more worth paying attention mm -hmm. to do they have more utility okay these are the most popular cards in modern okay path to exile is one of the most underrated pieces of removal great what kind of decks are running this okay what's something that if the meta starts shifting i can kind of be a little bit ahead of the game on without necessarily needing to sink you know fetch land money or something into it because a lot of times it is it's like a two to three to four dollar card mm -hmm. and like you know what if that card is two dollars and it hits five great i've made my money that's all yep, i need in and out and that's basically what i've started trying or what i've started gravitating more towards and i don't know if that's just because i'm an old fuddy-duddy and i'd rather read old irc chats and like forum posts throwback yeah than watch youtube video content but that's where we're at oh, well. and it's actually been pretty helpful for me because it's been a lot of things that i wouldn't necessarily notice yeah because a lot of times especially on streams you notice the splash plays you don't notice that Felwar Stone was out there doing work for 12 turns before the player finally won. Mm -hmm. And those articles kind of point out those Felwar Stone type things. Yeah. Where it's like, all right, this is, you know, the straw that stirs the drink, even though everyone's paying attention to the drink. Yeah. No, I, I think that's a good point to make in that the people that are making content are making it not because of the splashy plays or to make the splashy plays, but to actually just play the game and talk about not necessarily the glue or the rug, because I'll, I'll cycle that joke up from earlier today that yeah. ties the room together, but um, they just want to talk about the room you yeah. know, and what's going on in the room. They don't care. They don't either to care or don't have the time or the desire to talk about the minutia, but people like LSV and PV, and I'll take a shot across the bow, Eric Levine, will talk about yeah. 
Format staples. Yeah. I hope he enjoys his spoils from this past weekend. Indeed, like he did. It looked like a good haul. Yeah, it was very. Uh, and I, I think this is a good point to make because we really haven't talked about articles and you know getting back into that kind of stuff in a while because everybody besides TCG player and EDH rec that I know of are paywalled. Yep. Right. So that means you got to want to sink the money and like you you can listen to ad copy till you're blue in the face on what savings you get if you order from people. It's the equivalent of a this or a that or whatever. You know you, you gotta you gotta want to do it. You gotta want to put in the time and the energy and the effort. And it can be a lot, but it can also be really rewarding to do that because you can get in ahead of the curve because not everybody's paying for those articles. Not everybody is paying attention to what Ryan Overturf and Todd Anderson are writing about on Star City. Not everybody is reading Huey's articles on CFB. And there's a lot that goes into that. And they're usually on top of or ahead of what's going on. And so that can't be understated. And I think it's it's obviously, again, very good to cycle that up. And then, you know, as per your mantra, looking for what works with what. Yeah. Like, it's super and, important. And I think that's, you know, anytime we have a pick, that's one of the things we cite is, all right, well, what cards is this used with? Yep. What does this see play along with? And it's one of those, like, you know, when you see a card on the reserve list that's basically a meme spike, you know the other meme cards are going to spike. Not too far all right, behind. great. Yep. Well, why not do that with playables? Because playables, they're playable, and you have infinite ways to get rid of them. Whereas sometimes, you know, you may have 40 Grim Feasts, and all of a sudden it's a $20 card. You can't sell them because nobody wants them for $20, and buy lists are only 8 yep. So, like, sure, you buy list it because you're still making money at that point. But you have a lot more liquidity in terms of, like, outs mm -hmm. and quantity with those staple type cards than you necessarily do with your meme reserve list stuff yeah. or your Sarkins on ceilings. Yeah. Look, we'll get there one day. They'll stop printing it in EDH decks and we'll, we'll get out of that card. Now, when, no. with the return to paper play and obviously the return to content, more people are dialing in. I would expect more people to eventually buy back into these content producers and start reading through the articles. Do you think you'd you'd still see those kind of decent returns or do you think you know in the same kind of way where i'm looking at it like i think my exit strategy is to sell in six months for all this modern stuff and then shift again i i think it's probably going to be the you know sell in six months i think you know while rising tides help all ships sure i also think it's important to be as flexible and modular as you can possibly be with this stuff because it's kind of, you know, the magic economy is in a really weird spot now mm -hmm. because we have everything surging and all of a sudden stuff starts retracing. But it's not like a hard retrace on everything. On some stuff it is, but then you have certain blue chips that all of a sudden those are retracing. And it's not necessarily, you know, like we haven't seen that before. I just wouldn't say we've seen it to this level mm -hmm. that we have before. So I think being flexible right now, because, you know, we do have so much influx about the playability of the game. Yeah. And that's what separates it from baseball cards or sports cards is this is a hobby in and of itself. You play with these cards and that helps determine their financial value. Yeah. So yeah. like as you get into constructed formats, because we're having constructed events again, it's important to be as flexible and modal as you can possibly be. So for me, it is. I'm going to look at this stuff for, you know, 
right now I'm consuming modern articles. Great. I'm going to look at those. And you know what? In a few months, once I think six months is a good timeline. Once we get back to like regular events again. All right, cool. I'm going to change. I want to see what's happening now. Star City is about to hit their legacy circuit. Great. Let's hit up legacy stuff and see what we can do and go from there. Okay. Yeah. I was going to ask about legacy because I know that's something that you and I kind of cyclically take a look at. And it's easier when Star City is doing their thing even before they announce their tournament schedule because as you know craig barry predicted a decade ago when they first started the tournament cycle when they were running modern legacy was going to be the hot ticket item for their buy lists and when and it would yep. flip to modern when legacy was being played you know and it, it's cyclical and it's predictable and legacy is always going to be there but in what capacity so yeah right that's that's something i I always fool around with when i'm looking at like i don't want to say edh reserve list cards because obviously some of them are great there's ones that you can play there and nowhere else that are you know high profile items and you look at a wheel of fortune for me that's the one that comes to mind first and then you have some kind of multi-format players that aren't duels like i'm just sticking to some off the wall stuff Gilda Drake does play in blue-black reanimator yeah. lists. Grim Monolith does play in the artifact lists that do pop up from time to time. You have Alluren and all the cards that go with that. Yeah. You know, we we did just see a reprint of Food Chain and Mystery Boosters, but it's really difficult to say they're they're going to put that somewhere else. So like pseudo reserve list that if you want. And like for me, that makes sense to kind of pick up. But have you like in your reading or anything like that seen any kind of you know trend tracking either? or been trend tracking legacy stuff like that is anybody ever writing about legacy anymore or is it just like aside from the dedicated outlets yeah it's it's basically the dedicated outlets at this point there's not a whole lot of people that are publishing articles on legacy it's all modern and standard and you know there have been a few people that have been like oh here's a historic article or here's you know a brawl article and that stuff's great but i don't care about those as much because as of right now we don't have a paper equivalent and historic's kind of a weird one for them to make paper because of the historic only releases on arena so i don't know that we'll ever get paper there brawl happens Mm -hmm. but i feel like most people play brawl after like well i just played edh for six hours let's take a 15 minute break yeah i've heard about people wanting to play historic brawl and paper because like the historic only cards don't make a huge difference to that format right now right now yeah right now a tenable format or you could just proxy the handful of cards because you literally can't buy them. So what are you going to do? But historic constructed is a much different animal. You know, proxying four to however many unique cards, X however many copies you need, is a lot more difficult to yeah. want to do. Um, I have a friend that plays historic uh, religiously on Arena, and I've got no idea what that's, what's going on in that format right now. Like. Yeah. Couldn't tell you. I just told him the other day that Meat Hook, Meat, Meat Hook Massacre is a good card in Esper Control if the format is aggressive. And uh, he told me I was right. So there you go. There's my historic advice. So if you want to spec <laughs> on historic, Meat Hook Massacre, but not at $40. No, take, not at $40. Take that to heart. Yeah. yeah. But overall, that's that's been uh, my pivot. Um, I think this kind of change has been like... I've been on and off about what I wanted to do for a while and what really like sealed the deal was Star City doubling down on their paper event. And it yep. was 
um, the multiple iterations of what they were doing in regards to COVID uh, preventative measures. And the app, like, what was the blessing was CFB Las Vegas or Magic, whatever. CFB's MTG Las Vegas. Like, that told me that my choice of pivoting to more of a modern stance was the correct one. When it comes to some of the odds and ends stuff, like, do I want to look at retro frame, foil, non-foil? Do I want to look at set, set foil, uh, full art, what have you? That kind of minutia is a card-by-card analysis, but I'm hoping, and this is uh, tangential to what I'm doing personally, that this is where retro frame foils begin to pick up. That's yeah. my, my belief and my hope at the same time. Right. Yeah, I think that's probably going to be the case, and it's you know one of those things where, again... Uh, us getting back to paper gives the opportunity for those cards to actually see a price bump. Yep. Because when your main thing is EDH, obviously that's you know the biggest financial driver in the game. There's so many options, and it's like, all right, well, what has what actually has the most mobility here? What actually has the most liquidity? Yeah. And then go for that. Yep, absolutely. Um, but yeah, that that's me for the next you know six months just gobbling up as much modern at lgs's binders and you know sales that i can find around the area ready for picks yeah yes let's do it uh i'm gonna gobble up this time to talk about heroic intervention from corset 2021 this card it's the best green card that you can be playing in edh and uh, i'm going for the core 2021 version because it's same art just printed so it's got the highest stock and we're finally seeing the expected retrace on this. So this is a card uh, I've just been kind of monitoring for a while, but just didn't, wasn't monitoring stats up until the last like week or so. And when I saw it start to hit on CK's buy list for $6 each, which is what they were vending, uh, selling for a couple of weeks ago, I was like, all right, it's time to pull the trigger. So the, the this is a pick less about the immediate financial opportunity and just reminding people that this card is good and the demand for this card is there. CK is buying 94 at $6 a piece. They've been buying 90 plus for a really long time and they're buying every version of this card, foil and not. So as I was saying to you before the cast, this is one of those picks where it's just like difficult to talk about the card because it's foundational to EDH. It's just like, why do I need to tell people that they should consider Soul Ring in their 99 or Lightning Greaves or Swiftfoot Boots, right? This is just foundational and should be played in every green deck. It's the best protection spell we've seen in any color, save for Teferi's protection and auto-include in any deck that plays green. And a card who is so powerful, the only argument about inclusion should be based around not owning one. That's it. And, And I know I don't... In real life, I'm pretty hyperbolic, but this is not a hyperbolic statement. Heroic Intervention should be a ubiquitous card. Yeah. In the, in the format. Yeah. Like, there's there's no reason why when you decide to put a forest in your deck, you shouldn't also pull out a Heroic Intervention to go alongside it. So, my 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 timeline for profit on this to buy us is probably within the next six months based on historic price trending because it's been flat for a fairly long time. If we take a look at, at stocks again, I'll bring it back up. So, it's been flat... Uh, down trending downwards since what do we got here april yeah and then flattening out around july so we're looking at about three months worth of just plateau on this card 
So six months to buy list based on that. Uh, so that's price trending and the fact that the market is still being drained. At nine months, it should be an easy sell on to buy list for profit. All the while, so continue to move within the open marketplace. So Facebook, TCG Player, etc. And profit probably starts in about 30 days if you buy in now. The only wrinkle for this is a possible reprint with a 2022 summer set. But even then, the track record for recovery is fairly strong, and it just pushes the timeline out a bit further. I don't think there's any way you can lose buying into this card at any price, $10 or under. It's not going to be uh, a question of how much. It's going to be a question of how long. And then yeah. that's when you'll you'll see your profit. Like I said, we did get... This was in... Um, it wasn't Secret Layer, sorry. It was Commander Adventures in the Forgotten Realms, right? So it was just in the oh, yeah. AFR Commander yeah. set, which didn't put a whole lot of stock back into uh, no. the ecosystem. So as this drains off TCG player over time, that's where I really expect this card to kind of pick up. Right now, we're still sitting at about the same number of listings as there were uh, roughly a week ago, but sales data is basically saying, like, in the last two days, we've sold 21... 24, 26, 27 copies with the data that TCG Player provides, which is not the greatest, but that's just about under a 24-hour period. So we're like looking at basically one an hour that's being sold in foil and non-foil from Corset 2021. And again, I don't think this is going to slow down. This is just going to keep going. Yeah, it's. I, I agree that it should be ubiquitous because it is such a powerful effect in a color that needs effects like this to work. It, it needs them. Yeah. And it's, you know, even even for Constructed, it's just incredibly good at what it does. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I, it is, you know, outside of maybe Teferi's Protection, the best protection spell that we've had probably ever. Yeah. And I don't even know if Teferi's Protection is better. I think the only reason I like Teferi's Protection more is because your life total can't change. Ah, that's fair. Like, yeah, that's fair. That's the, that's the main reason why I, I think Teferi's Protection is is better. I mean, unless somebody is literally, like, Black Sun Zenithing the board for a million. Like, yeah. I, I think you're, like... Probably fine. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's solid. I think this is, since it has been printed, the best green EDH card I've seen in years. Yeah. Hands down. It's, it's just great. Uh, I am going with our pivot. Foil Dragon's Rage Channeler. Why now? Well, we have a ton of stock. We are at peak stock at this point. Uh, in fact, in order to get to double-digit prices on the foil of this card, which is my exact pick, you have to go to page 7 on TCG, and that's only two digits with shipping. So why am I picking it when there's so much stock? I don't know. Have you read the card? It's insane. This card is so good. We're at peak stock. It's played in modern. It's played in legacy. It's played in vintage. Granted, two of those don't really exist right now. But when we get back to paper magic, I fully expect that this will do a ton of work. Yep. And while I think Ragavan is likely to get banned, I don't think Dragon's Rage Channeler will. I think it's a $20 foil in about probably six months once we get back to paper. Mm -hmm. Uh, right now, it's sitting in that comfortable Delverin standard range of like five to ten for the foil. It's the card that evens out your trades when you're like five bucks. Eh, I'm not mad at having another foil of this. It's a good card to have, whatever someone will need it one day. Uh, we've also, if you take a look at the stocks graph, for the first time in 
basically since the set released, had another dip. So this dip in the price is why I think we're at peak stock right now. We're at low demand because we only have a couple of modern events coming outside of your LGS events. I think that once we see more large-scale events return, not just SCG Con, not just MTG Vegas, you're going to see this card explode. Uh, it does everything you want in a creature, not just a red creature. It's incredibly efficient. It's pushed Delver out of Delver lists. I could go on and on about how insane this card is, but just trust me, at 5 to $10 for a foil, you cannot lose long-term. No. As far as outs, I'd be looking at trades, Facebook, buy list in about six months to some form of profit. Mm -hmm. Maybe a little bit longer if there is another delay in getting organized play at a large scale back. Yep. But no, I just think it's super solid. I, I think that this card is nuts. Uh, the the card I think of in terms of comparison for this as a like as a template on a card is Monastery Swiss Spear. So and I understand why Swiss Spear is a $15 foil and has less to do with cons and more to do with like the playability of that card in various strategies. But I think people just haven't really figured out the best combination of cards or the cards that best complement Dragon Raid's channeler across an, the same number of decks that Swift Spear has appeared in. And once you can figure that out, I think that is also another good element to just kind of push this card forward and to see it never come back in terms of price right now it's not like the card is limited in scope but it it requires a little bit of setup in modern and people are just kind of playing with like the same cadre of cards in every shell this deck can go in and i think once people step out of that comfort zone a little bit more and they start really playing around with what's available to them we'll see this card show up in more decks and thus we will see the price just go up overall you know you it's easy to put a creature a land and an instant in the graveyard in almost any deck that's basically how jund is able to play tarmogoyf profitably after that sorcery and artifact are basically lumped together and that is the fourth card type that you're looking for to power this up and once people kind of figure out okay is it sorceries? Is it artifacts? Is it enchantments with something like a seal uh, when Burn and John used to play Seal of Fire? Once we kind of get there and figure it all out, that's where we're really going to see this card just absolutely rocket. I think it's going to be a matter of time. And even then, if we don't get to all of those decks, Modern is still evolving quickly. So there's the opportunity for the Is It Spells list to be iterated on or Is It Murktai to be iterated on in such a way that it becomes one of the better decks in the format again and thus that pushes this card. I think there are a number of parallel forces not competing to push this card but waiting to push this card. Yeah. And I, I think that's the thing is that it's it's a card that doesn't necessarily... Like, it is its own engine in addition to just being incredibly efficient. Yep. And that's why I think it has a little bit more play than Delver does, because it's not something you have to build around. It's like, am I red and aggressive? Cool. I'm in. Yeah. Do I have red? Am I aggressive? Cool. Yeah. I'm in. Exactly. You, and in both of those decks, you're already priced into playing some number of sorcery. So it is just finding the critical mass of non-creatures, instants, or lands that gets you that fourth card type. And like you said, this card plays into itself. Yeah. And that makes it extremely good. Yeah, I think it's, think it 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 is, the most 
busted of the cards from MH2, which will not get banned. Still calling her as a saga and Ragavan to get banned. But yeah, I can't. Aside from Unholy Heat, I can't think of anything else from that set that I would like to play with uh, such ferocity. Uh, Murktide yeah. is up there. Um, I'll, I'll probably be pivoting away from the deck I've been playing to. Is it Murktide? But it's not Murktide that's drawing me to that deck. It's the rest of the cards that make up the engine and the core for that deck. And yeah. this and Unholy Heat are like it. I. And that's where I want to be. That's where I want to be in modern right now. So, yeah, uh, I like the pick. I, you know, I, I agree with the timeline because it just syncs up with everything we we just talked about earlier in the episode. I think it's it's choice, and it, it serves as a good reminder to people that like we're coming the entire episode from soup to nuts. Yeah, you know, you got to pay attention to what's coming up in paper because this is going to be a perfect time for you to pivot if you're ready to and you want to. Think that's all I have to soapbox about this week. I'm good. All right. So that is it for this week, everyone. We will be back next week in the interim. You can find MTG Cabalcast on Twitter, Patreon, Facebook, and YouTube. The audio podcast is up on Audible, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. I am at Halt I am Reptar on Twitter. You are at Thirsty Sizzler. See you next week. <laughs>